Hello and welcome to the Lebanese Politics Podcast. My name is Benjamin Red. I'm joined by Nizar Hassan. How's it going, Nizar? Doing well. How are you? I am. I'm doing really well. I'm dried out. I'm no longer wet. Last night we had these crazy torrential rains. I know, really crazy. Like, has this? Like, I've been here for going on nine years now. I've never seen something like this in June. Have Have you ever? No, I mean, it doesn't feel like June at all, actually. Yeah, I heard somebody, like, remark on Twitter, like, what is this, Kanuna uh, Therith or something? <laughs> you know, like, the, a third month of winter, basically. Uh, but yeah, so it's, it's, it's maybe a good thing that we are getting more water, uh, but maybe a bad thing as well, because when you have such torrential rains, it's, it's actually bad because the water doesn't have enough time to, like, seep into the soil to help the agriculture, right? It just runs off and mm. carries things with it and carries nutrients with it and washes, depletes the soil, right? Yeah, and it's also bad for people who ride motorcycles, <laughs> which is my main concern. Were, were you out during the storm last yeah. night? Yeah, but I got to my destination two minutes before it started raining, so it was okay. Oof. Oof, that's close. That's close. I was I I got off of work last night late, and and we uh, we got a ride with a coworker, and the we were coming down from Sassine, uh, down the hill, and there was just such a river, massive river, like on the road, that we didn't see. There was a giant. I we we think that uh, maybe a manhole cover had popped off somewhere, oh. and we hit the hole. We couldn't see it at all because it was a fucking river. And, uh, and, and so of course we had a flat tire then it, oh. it became a whole, whole problem. So yeah, we were soaked and not happy. I'm uh, sorry to hear that. Anyway, so a lot went on this week Yeah. in politics, right? Yeah. It was a politically dense week, I can say, um, mostly the naturalization debate, um, yeah, that was huge. It was really big. And that just came out of nowhere, too. Like, nobody was expecting this. And then all of a sudden, what was it, like, Thursday or something, or, or Wednesday night, I forget what, like, the rumors started flying about this. And then we saw the report, like, Al-Akbar had a report the next day, like, listing, like, with, with like, 104 names on it. Uh, yep. So, so what happened was uh, there's a new decree mm-hmm. uh, that was signed supposedly by Interior Minister, Caretaker Interior Minister uh, Nuhad Mashnu, uh, Prime Minister Saad Hariri, and uh, President Michel Aoun. And this granted some 375 foreigners the Lebanese citizenship. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like this is, this is a very sensitive topic in Lebanese politics in Lebanon, granting citizenship, right? Yeah, it's really, really sensitive. It's always been like that. And that's primarily due to like the confessional balance. Exactly. Right? But mm-hmm. but with this with this decree, it was it was kind of weird because it was the numbers were kind of low. There were there were a few hundred, not a few thousand, for instance. Mm. Uh, but also, it was not fifty fifty Muslim Christian. No, it was not. It was I think two hundred sixty Christians and uh, one hundred fifteen Muslims or something like that. Right. So more than like. Two thirds, more than two thirds, uh, Christian yeah. to Muslim. Right. So there's a lot of opposition to this. Yeah, from different groups. Um, LF are the Lebanese forces are mainly the I think the only political party that's like waging a campaign about this against uh, against uh, the Free Patriotic Movement since uh, you know they're connecting it to Aoun being the leader of the FPM. And signing this decree without letting them know or without maybe involving them in the process or without any kind of transparency. Uh, and I heard someone was requesting access, right? Right. So there's there's this entire question about access and who can actually see the decree. On Friday, 
the caretaker justice minister, Salim Jirsati, who is FPM, right, uh, mm-hmm. one of the president's men, he came out, he came out with a statement from him, but on Ministry of Justice letterhead, uh, saying that this decree does not need to be published in the official gazette, the mm-hmm. official record of all decrees and stuff like that. He said, oh, no need to even publish this, right? Uh, if you want to see it, you can file a right to access information request. Mm-hmm. Since we have a law now. <laughs> right, right. Which is like mostly flouted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the times that I have attempted to use it have <laughs> uh, like the, 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 the ministry involved, uh, uh, despite being a progressive ministry, has just completely like ignored it, uh, ignored my request totally illegally. Uh, right. And so one of the MPs, Sami Jumail, who's the head of the Kataab party, he requested directly to Babda Palace, like, I want to see this decree. Today it came down. Babda said, no, you can't see the decree. So we have this decree that's just like nobody knows how it came together. Nobody knows uh, when it was signed. Uh, nobody's seen it. We, we, we're not really sure what all is in it. We, we don't even know. There could theoretically be more than one decree, right? We don't mm. think so. But like nobody's seen this. And the justice minister is saying we're not going to publish this or mm. he's saying it doesn't need to be published in the official gazette. Who knows? It may be. Uh, he says, oh, use this uh, access to information law to try to get it. But if you're an MP, now Bob DePalis is saying, if you're an MP, we're not going to share this with you. So this mm-hmm. is shrouded in enormous secrecy, uh, which is really, really concerning, I think, to especially a lot of people. For, yeah, especially for something so sensitive, as you were saying, as naturalization, because you have the sectarian balance. You also have um, to know who are these people being naturalized. Because this is one of the main debates now. PSP is opposing it, partly because uh, Walid Jumblat announced today that some of these people who are being naturalized... Today, we're, we're recording this on Saturday, so... Yep. Today or yesterday, Jumblat announced that some of these people are related to Syrian um, regime military figures, like uh, relatives of military officials uh, in Syria. And then um, there's like there there's also some you know prominent businessmen on the list. Uh, for instance, Samer Foz, uh, who is a a big Syrian businessman who uh, has a lot of interests very close to Bashar al-Assad. Mm-hmm. He's on the list. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the 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 list that was leaked that was published by Al-Akbar, for instance. He's on yeah. that list. And a lot of people are saying, are pointing at this fact specifically that, you know, rich guys can buy the citizenship while like um, Syrian refugees are being used uh, or and Palestinian refugees. Or Palestinian, like not rich Palestinians or Syrians, are being always used as a as a scapegoat to say we're against Tautin, we're against naturalization, etc. Why the richest of them can buy yeah, their so way through. So there's this question though, like there there are some reports coming out suggesting that not everybody paid, like that that there are a lot of names on the on the list who who didn't pay anything or who maybe didn't pay a lot because they don't have the resources to pay a lot, uh, but. We just don't know because not only is the decree itself shrouded in secrecy, the, these layers of secrecy that that, uh, that the FPM and the Aonis have put around it, as well as uh, obviously Mustafbal because they are also responsible for signing onto this. Yeah. But also the process, how these names got to be on the list, we have no idea. This yeah. was not some the the Interior Ministry did not should do some open call like if you think that you deserve Lebanese citizenship. Please apply to mm-hmm. state your reasons why, you know, if you, you know, some grandparent somewhere was Lebanese or, or something like that. Nothing like that happened. Um, 
there was uh, my newspaper reported today in, in Saturday's newspaper that we had a, an anonymous source come up to us and uh, saying like, oh, a family friend actually approached me mm-hmm. to apply for this. And they had me fill out this uh, form, a bunch of basic information, what your ties to Lebanon is, what's your name, all this stuff. And but he didn't. Uh, I should mention we're unable to we were unable to verify this. Uh, but he didn't send that into the interior ministry. He sent that to the family friend, and he doesn't know who who the family friend sent that to. Okay. So it seems like this very weird, very suspicious process to say the least. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like Secretive if you if you've got the mm. the wasta, or if you happen to be connected to the right people, then maybe you were asked. Otherwise, I mean, it was not. definitely about connections. This is something we can claim safely that it was not a fair process. It was not a public process. So it was definitely about either connections or money. And it's not so different if it's a political favor or it's a, f- a few million dollars. It's not really different, to be honest. Uh, the important thing is that uh, I think this political um, give and take around it is, is useful for us because maybe it will make us maybe it would make it more likely that we get access to, to this kind of decrees in the future. Yeah, maybe. Or maybe they'll just, you know, win and we won't ever see anything. <laughs> who knows? Uh, but, but it is interesting uh, as well, like, to see who's for this and who's against it. So we, we know that we haven't, we haven't heard a whole lot out of, say, the future movement on this. I mean, prime minister and interior minister are major figures in the future movement. Right, right. And they signed it. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, and, and, uh, but also, I haven't heard anything from Birri's people Right. Nothing from Hezbollah, right? Some I, people close to Hezbollah actually are uh, are saying it. Like Salem Zahran, the journalist, who's like 100% pro Hezbollah. He was hosted by Al-Manar and he was asked about it. And he was like, "I'm so it's so unfortunate that Aoun's um, post-election uh, era will be like, you know, polluted with this thing that looks like a little scandal or suspicious thing. You know, it's kind of... Flirting with with the criticism to Aoun uh, from Hezbollah's right. perspective. Right, right, right. Uh, the the only people who seem to really have spoken up in favor of it are are, are the Tayar, are are the FPM mm. Aoun's people. They're saying it's normal; it happens every time. Right? right, right, and and I mean they 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 do have a point. Like this, this is you know past presidents have done this. It's usually done at the end of a term, uh, from my understanding, instead of, you know, a year and a half in. Uh, but and I, I, I think that they're starting to speak up about this, though, because the blame isn't really being laid at Future's doorstep, even though two of the signatures are from Future. The blame is pretty much all landing right at the president's doorstep yeah. on this. And so the the Aonis are out in force saying, hey, this isn't that big of a deal. This is fully constitutional. This is not a problem. Yeah, yeah. Definitely on Aon's feet. The, uh, the, the people who are against this, though, they were clearly not a part of this deal, right? The, the LF, the PSP, Kataeb, they didn't have any part in the deal. And, and they're uh, quite vocal. Uh, the, the LF announced that they will be challenging this mm-hmm. uh, at the Shura Council, which, so Lebanon follows the French legal system, right? Uh, we were a French mandate, and we sort of inherited this, for, coming from like a common law, like American system, and it's, I still haven't wrapped my head fully around it, mm-hmm. but under the French system, you've got like a difference between the administrative courts uh, for like state institutions and criminal courts. And so like, once you go up to like the higher levels, then you have 
uh, in Lebanon, it's the administrative is something called the Shura Council. Sure, and that is the place where you would uh, challenge a decree like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the LF came out and announced, we're going to go to the Shura Council uh, and say uh, this was wrong. Uh, and and they're basically, my understanding of their argument is that, number one, this may have been taken under a caretaker government. There's a mm-hmm. question. When did Mashnut and Hariri sign this? Yep. If it was after midnight on the night between May 21st, 22nd, when the government lapsed into caretaker status, mm-hmm. then the decree will be like thrown out immediately. Yeah. Because like, as a caretaker government, you can only do the bare minimum in order to keep the state running, basically. Mm-hmm. You're not supposed to take any major uh, decisions beyond that. So that's one of the reasons that they're appealing. Uh, the other reason that they're appealing is just it's about the process. Like we were talking about, this was shrouded in secrecy. How did these people, was it an appropriate process? The way that the interior ministry or whoever did this on the ground, the way they did this, was it appropriate? Mm-hmm. Was it within the bounds of the law? Uh, so the LF is challenging it at the Shura Council. The the PSP said that they were going to challenge it at the Constitutional Court. Mm-hmm. Not the Shura Council, the, the Constitutional Council. So they don't challenge yeah, they're, 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 I, they subsequently said, well, we're, we're going to we're going to ask legal counsel and, and figure out the right way to challenge this. Yeah. But it's I mean, it's kind of embarrassing when you're <laughs> a major party and you don't know the proper way to challenge a decree. Yeah, that's, it's really embarrassing. <laughs> but I think something good about this debate, about this fuss, is that a lot of people, especially from like activist backgrounds, are using it to say, look, the Lebanese woman cannot by law offer the citizenship or pass the nationality to their children and their husband because of all the fear around naturalization of Palestinians, etc. Yeah. Um, while if you have the right connections, you can get it. So this uh, this thing is probably good for like mobilization and some public opinion change around this issue. Hopefully. But I mean, I, I, I don't know if you've got the, the powers that be, the two of the major parties sitting there who are clearly behind this uh they are in favor of this. Uh, if the Shiite duo is also not against this, then who's really going to stop? I mean, the the LF simply isn't powerful enough to stop them. The PSP is not yeah. powerful enough. Civil society is not powerful enough. It doesn't really matter like if these people are naturalized or not, right? What matters is how we will be doing this in the future. Right, and we know uh, that... Uh, I think it was a source in Babda Palace, uh, or, or I forget if it was a source in Babda Palace or somebody from the FPM said the president's going to be doing this on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, like every year, he's going to be doing uh, another decree like this until the end of his term in 2022. So that means if we accept this now uh, as this is the way things are, are are going to be done, then this is going to carry on as a precedent, and we're going to have this big question of. How did this happen? Did people pay money? How were people selected? Uh, and how do we see the decrees in the future as well? And if it's true that people connected the Syrian regime, and it's quite confirmed by many sources that um, many people are like within the very small, very small entourage of the Syrian regime, um, officials and uh, businessmen. What this means is that these people will be Lebanese citizens, um, so they might be protected by the state of Lebanon, maybe against sanctions. Um, they will have the freedom to move around maybe as Lebanese citizens, etc. I wonder wh- what exactly is the rationale behind it, but I'm sure it's going to create some legal confusion. It's going to be maybe provoking sentences 
provoking sanctions by by foreign powers who are sanctioning the Syrian regime, etc. So it's, it's going to create some confusion. But the main concern is that there's so much happening in politics that is giving the Syrian regime leverage in Lebanon. Elil Fizl being deputy speaker with Nabi Bari being speaker, um, Aoun becoming so powerful while being quite close to the Syrian regime now, Hezbollah and Amal having very strong parliamentary blocks, Hariri kind of compromising on this end in terms of uh, his rhetoric concerning the Syrian regime maybe getting slightly more uh, accepting or toler- tolerant. Even Jumblad, the most like f- fiercest critic of the Syrian regime and, and the mainstream politicians in Lebanon, he is now, um, he's still criticizing them, but obviously accepting firstly was a sign that he's going to be softer from now on. So I think this is one of the main concerns and I think that's quite valid yeah, but I mean, it seems also kind of natural, though, right? Because as the Syrian civil war sort of comes to an apparent close, all eyes in Lebanon are on reconstruction or on, you know, how are we going to profit from this? How are we going to uh, use this to help solve the refu- the Syrian refugee crisis in Lebanon? So there, there seems to be this natural flow, like, of course, Damascus, is, after having won the war, is going to have a lot of greater clout in Beirut, in Lebanon, than it did while it was, you know, fighting for its life in the middle Mm -hmm. of their civil war. Yeah, definitely. And speaking of Syria, we also had the controversy over Law 10, right? Yep. So walk me through this, uh, because I've read a little bit about this, but uh, Law 10 basically says if uh, if you own property in Syria, you need to come back and, like, register it. So what happens is there's this new law that says uh, every time that a zone, a geographic zone, is designated as a reconstruction or redevelopment zone, the local authorities have to go through a process whereby they tell, um, they ask the real estate authority to tell them who owns each land or each, you know, plot. And then when this happens, a lot of names are not on the list. And these names... Um, can only be filled if people make the claims that this is my plot of land. Mm, right. So the controversy is this. If your name was not listed for many reasons, right, it could be an administrative reason, it could be a political reason that they didn't mention your name, you have to go and make the claim um, in the administration. So if you are anti-Assad, you cannot go to the state and be like, this land is mine because they will... Right, there's a, there's a really short period of time, of time as well that you can go and make this days. claim, right? It's like, 30 days is nothing. Like, if you're in Turkey and this happens, what can you do, right? All of these questions are being raised now. 10 million people, according to some analysis, are in danger of, like, being, losing their, their right to claim the land they... Uh, right, like, so critics own. are basically calling this a big land grab, by uh, by the government. Yeah, and it accumulates over the, the all the accusations against Assad doing some demographic engineering in Syria, replacing populations by other populations for political reasons. Because if you're if you're say a refugee here in Lebanon, you may not be able to go back. You may not have that as an option to go back and and claim your land, right? So you might just have to lose it. Which that and that has a lot of uh, knock-on effects here in Lebanon in the domestic political uh, political arena because Christians really don't want a bunch of Syrian refugees staying here, right? And this is one of the things that the Christian parties 
they're at their throats, at, at each other's throats in basically every other way, but the LF and the FPM are in lockstep on this. They really and Kataib, don't like everyone it. Everyone is yeah. in agreement. All Christian parties are in agreement that the number one priority is to avoid naturalization or permanent settlement of Syrian refugees. It's... Right, and so we've seen like a lot of politicians come out this week yeah. very vocally opposed to what's going on with Law 10. Uh, They're not necessarily saying, oh, it it needs to be done away with, uh, but they're saying, like, these are huge problems that need to be fixed. Uh, Like, I I think that uh, Hassan Hasbani, the the deputy, uh, the outgoing deputy uh, prime minister and the health minister, he's with the LF. I think he uh, mentioned, well, it's a 30 day window. Like, that's one of the big problems. Right. So if you if you made it longer than I understand, because you do need to redevelop. The, these areas that have been devastated, mm. but 30 days is not long enough. Uh, so it, it seems to me like it's not just the Christians say, no, down with the law. The, there seems to be like a specific objections. This needs to be fixed This uh, so that we can all work together on this. Yeah, I mean, Lebanon is kind of expecting the Syrian regime to be making it slightly easier for people to come back, right? And Europe as well. So this is a step that is in the opposite direction. Right, right, right. So and, and supposedly... they don't come back to their own lands, I mean, I wonder where they'll com- be coming back because maybe the, the authorities will be providing alternatives, but still, it's uh, it doesn't look good at all. It doesn't look positive. Right, right. And, and uh, like you say, there are, uh, there are talks right now between Lebanese authorities and Syrian authorities. Uh, Abbas Ibrahim this week said that, you know, we there are... Thousands of Syrians that are willing to go back, and we are in discussions with Syrian officials to make mm-hmm. this happen. Abbas Ibrahim, the head of general security, which is they take care of the, like registering Syrians here, yeah. uh, uh, and sort of like when, when you fly into Beirut Airport, for instance, you go through general security as a checkpoint. They they do all the passport control stuff like that, right? Um, so it's him. It's coming from him saying, like, we're, we're, we're actively talking about this. Yeah. And I know this is about Lebanon, this podcast, but we have to mention as well that the most controversial thing surrounding any property law is how many people will be dispossessed, right? Because in Beirut, we have this experience with Solidar, um, and we're talking about a much larger scale in Syria. We're talking about millions of people who will be relocated. And we're talking about a serious trend of gentrification that will be happening replacement of population with like richer people Uh, in the case of Assad it will be richer and also politically more favorable I think but uh, the class thing is really central here I I, for example come from a house like I grew up in a house that was taken over by Solidaire for a very cheap price and most of downtown Beirut had the same experience yeah like so Solidaire came in after the civil war and and sort of got the writ to uh buy up all of this property mm-hmm. uh and and so supposedly the the landowners and the owners of, of houses there they got shares in solidaire is that right yeah we got shares in solidaire it's true right right and but then solidaire obviously that's not equivalent to the the value of the land right so it is it's really and, and so solidaire is sort of like demolished everything and sort of rebuilt uh a whole lot of it and it's really beautiful if you go down to downtown today it's a beautiful right? ghost town though that's that's the thing. There there are so few people down there. Uh, not not compared to what I've heard the pre Civil War days were like. Uh, and so Solidaire has come under enormous uh, criticism mm-hmm. for the way that they've done this. Not only the way they've treated uh, people like your family uh, and uh, other uh, landowners, but also just the, their plan for redevelopment, which has resulted in these beautiful buildings that are not occupied. 
True. Uh, I, I think we should talk quickly about a few electoral tidbits. Mm-hmm. So, since we started out as sort of like an elections podcast, right? So just to wrap things up a little bit, we, we did get a little bit of news. The Electoral Supervisory Committee filed suit this week against Tele Liban, the state television uh, station. They said they were failed. They failed to abide by the electoral blackout. If you remember, we abided by the uh, electoral <laughs> blackout. I think we, we might have been the only... <laughs> Media that did. <laughs> we, the, the electoral blackout, we, we dropped uh, an episode early. It was like on Friday night, right before midnight, because there's supposedly there was this media blackout from Friday midnight through the when ballot boxes closed on Sunday evening, and you weren't supposed to make really... any statements or use media for any yeah. political campaigning, etc. Exactly. And so the the one television station though that gets singled out for this, I think probably they all did this. I'm not Obviously. I'm not sure. I mean maybe I don't know how many televisions violated the law. But all televisions, according to everyone I know that is involved in media, in media and politics, have taken tons of money for interviews and for, for right. interviews and etc. And um, even um, covering events. So we're talking about huge violations in tens of millions of dollars. And now they're pursuing Telelibon for this minor thing that they did, whatever it is. Right. It's right. quite ridiculous. Which is interesting because Telelibon did not require, like, large donations or you know payment for covering events i remember no, the, all, zero the, it was zero taylor Liban, they hosted uh or, or they covered uh your campaign quite a bit right yeah kulunawatani candidates were hosted in like one-to-one interviews and also they covered some of the events so yeah i, re- I remember watching one of the main events yeah. uh they were the only ones who covered it because the others asked for like forty thousand dollars each was a ridiculous amount that the, the independent uh, campaign didn't have. Yeah, so so this is the anyway. this is the TV station that gets hit with, uh, <laughs> with violating the law. Everybody jokes about it. It's really sad. Uh, just a quick note: appeals are due this Wednesday on June sixth. So something to look out for for the week ahead. If anybody does appeal, and there have been promises that people would appeal, like Rifi, Ashraf Rifi, and Tripoli would appeal, that uh, Jamana Haddad here in Beirut would appeal. Uh, if those happen that we should know about that this week. Also, I, I thought this was a fun story. The the National Commission for Lebanese Women. This is a state commission, right? It's usually headed by like the president's wife. This time it's it's headed now by uh, Claudine Aoun Rukos, who is the president's daughter mm-hmm. and the wife of Shamil Rukos, who the new MP uh, from Kesarwain. This national commission proposed this week a 30% quota for women in parliament. And my... <laughs> question is are you fucking kidding me they are supposed to represent women and they are asking not for 50 50 they're not asking even for equality they're asking for 30 percent yeah how yeah i don't know how they, <laughs> it's like they, we're they begging are... for the scraps at the table uh, it is unbelievable yeah, I don't know how they think of advocacy and achieving like goals. If they ask for the most conservative quota and then they see what they get from the authorities, it's completely ridiculous. I agree. Yeah, I, I mean, nobody's going to take you seriously if you don't take yourself seriously. And I mean, if if you are a women's right, I mean, if you're a women's rights group or, or a women's advocacy group, it's 2018. Really, you should be asking for equality. It, it's just the the bare minimum. The yeah. bare basics. But let's here. let's be very clear. This is a very elitist uh, group that has like former ministers and like women in leading positions, etc. This is not a feminist organization. It's it has it doesn't have any political dimensions. 
in terms of like asking for like intersectional demands or whatever. Right. This is not a feminist group, and it's on totally different pages than any other feminist organization in Lebanon. So this is why it's uh, I'm not so provoked by it because they're already doing nothing. So they might as well say things. <laughs> All right. Uh, I guess the the other big thing to talk about then is the the cabinet formation, right? Yeah, we're gonna have plenty of ministers. <laughs> right. Instead of instead of twenty four or thirty, now they're talking about thirty two. Yeah. So like how ambitious. You... We're ambitious. That's good. Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Italy just formed their new cabinet. How many did they have? Like eighteen or something. Yeah. We're aiming for thirty six. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Italy has sixty million people. 18 ministries, uh, but we have 4 million, so we need 32, right? And we need like four or five ministries of state. Uh, right, because there's only there's only 21 ministries in and of itself. Only yeah. 21 in Lebanon, only. right? <laughs> and then there's like OMSAR, the Office of the Minister of State for Administrative Reform or Development, I think now. So maybe like 22 ministries, mm. if you count them all. But no, like we, we always have at least 24 ministers. This time we have 30. With the new cabinet, we may have 32, which they're, they're talking about, I think it was Gibran Basile said he'd like to add one for the Alawites and one uh, for the Syriacs or some other Christian minority. Mm. It's really important to make it very clear. Ministries in Lebanon are representatives for parties and for sectarian groups. And this is what, you, what you're saying now is like directly reflects that right they're creating ministries to represent sectarian groups while these sectarian groups are already represented in parliament by mps because you have sectarian quotas in in parliament right right so the cabinet is literally just now another smaller version of the parliament right but in in parliament it's uh it's a statutory thing right Mm. so you have like 34 seats for the maronite sect by law Yep. Right. But with the cabinet formation, th- this is not set in stone. Like we, we have, according to Taif, it should be 50-50 Muslim Christian. Mm-hmm. Right. But beyond that, I, I don't think that there is a whole lot. Obviously, the prime minister needs to be a Sunni. Uh, obviously, the deputy premier needs to be an Orthodox. But beyond that, there there isn't anything that says Druze get three seats, mm-hmm. which is what Wally Jumblat, for instance, is claiming he's saying i get three seats right yeah now this is one of the big disagreements who's represented with the druze ministers well jumlat's saying i have to be represented by all the druze ministers since i have seven out of eight or eight out of nine yeah he has all but one yeah right Right. he won all druze seats except for talal islan's seat but basil and talal islan agreed that talal islan will be the head of a little coal, a little block, parliamentary block in Mount Lebanon, so that he gets the ministry. Right. So this was like a really weird little, like a parliamentary it, block within a parliamentary. Yeah, block. it's a little trick. So in yeah. in in Arabic, you've got two words, takatul and kitle, kutla, exactly. and and so I believe Arslan was he was on TV like talking about how like oh we're uh, I mean these these are synonyms the right yeah. they're like complete synonyms but he was saying like we are a kutle within the takatul right yeah and. Which, this, this, yeah, is, this is just inventing a new... Yeah, this is Basile basically sending a message to Jean Blot. Yeah, right, because he basically, it's like four people in the in the small, Kutle, Block, yeah. right, right. And so it's basically like three FPM. Three FPM and one Talal and, yeah. and one Talal right. <laughs> but yeah, but he's also sending a message to the... Lebanese forces, this is the real message he's sending because what he's trying to do is what Erslan and, and Basile are trying to do is put Erslan in defense ministry so that 
when they take the defense ministry, you have only three other major ministries, what they call sovereign ministries, right? Finance, interior, and foreign. Foreign, exactly. So when they put Talal Islam in the defense ministry, it means that the LF won't take another sovereign ministry because obviously FAM will have one at least. And you have Hariri having at least one, obviously. And then probably Birri. So LF is Right, but do out. you think that's going to actually work? Because this is sort of like a little a little trick. It's It, it really is... Basile has a 29-member block. It includes this smaller block. And he can't really... He can't have it both ways. He can't say, I have this very powerful 29-member block. Oh, and there's a separate four-member block that's a part of this for these other purposes. Yeah, but... Like, that's, he's trying to, you know, eat his cake and have it but too. But essentially he's saying, I have 30, almost 30 MPs. Lebanese forces have 15 why should they get a sovereign ministry? Yeah. Right? And, and, and like there's been a huge spat between like they're just at each other's throats, the LF yeah. and the FPM this week. And it seems as though from the LF side, they seem to think that the FPM is shutting them out. Uh, we saw this actually when we, we talked about this last last week uh, in the elections in parliament for the for sure. the parliamentary bureau. The LF got shut out Definitely. Uh, and the FPM picked up, you know, three spots. Uh, and so it seems as though the LF is very worried that this could happen on a much more important scale, which is, you know, at the Council of Ministers, at the cabinet. Yeah. Uh, and, and also, I, Basile is making waves with Birri now, saying he wants the finance ministry, while Birri right. is like, finance ministry is mine. He explicitly said finance ministry should be with the Shia minister, and it should right. be He's specifically with these... the same minister that has been with. Right. So he he makes this argument like that goes back. He he goes back to Taif and says that this was originally part of Taif, that because you've got on most decrees, you have the president, the prime minister and the finance minister for a whole lot of Mm. things signing these things. You need to have Christian Sunni. And it makes sense that the finance ministry is Shia. I don't know if that's historically accurate or not, but that's what he claims. And the last, I think, important piece of news this week is Hezbollah's focus on the Ministry of Planning. The Ministry of Planning is a very interesting thing. It was part of the cabinet in the 60s and early 70s, and then it was eliminated, partly based on the idea that we don't need a ministry to plan things because we're a free economy and a laissez-faire state. and all. This is a long time ago, though, right? Yeah, it was before or early days of the Civil War that was eliminated. And we have been asking for the Ministry of Planning to be reactivated or like to be created again for a long time. You know, um, people who like... Uh, who's, who's we? By we, I mean activists and okay. um, academics and people who are saying you cannot have a state managing the economy and infrastructure and education and health without coordination between these different fields. So you need a ministry for planning. But Hezbollah now is pushing really hard with it. Um, And apparently what they're trying to do is create the ministry of planning to get rid of the funds, the development funds that are related to uh, the prime minister office, such as the Council for Uh... Reconstruction and Development, which is directly managed by the prime minister office and does not report to any other No, like the Council for the South and... uh, Exactly, that's another one. Yeah. Uh, which is for Birri, but that one is for Hariri. So what they're trying to do is, from now on, no decision can be made by Hariri alone, basically, about which area gets more development projects than the other one. Oh, that's really interesting. So there's a real fight over there, and uh, I think if there will be a Ministry of Planning, it definitely will be with Hezbollah. Wait, so are you then in favor of more ministers? I'm in favor of the Ministry of Planning, to be honest, yes. (laughs) 
But obviously, with any political force controlling it, it's going to be just another tool for sectarian clientelism. So there's not a lot of hope there, but it's important as an organization. Baby steps. Baby, Baby steps. steps yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, um, uh, Hariri's in Riyadh right now. So everything for the past couple of days on this front has been a little bit quieter. Uh, but he's he's going to get back this weekend. He's scheduled to give an iftar address, I believe, on Sunday evening at the Seaside Pavilion, BL. And so everything is really going to kick off uh, next week. Uh, as of as of Monday, we should see a lot of activity on this front. Uh, Hariri uh, said, he told, I believe, MTV last night, uh, on Friday night, that he expected the cabinet to be formed shortly after Eid al-Fitr, which mm-hmm. is going to be something like the 14th, 15th of the month. Berri is on record, I think, about a week ago, saying that he thought it would be formed by the end of June. So there seems to be optimism. There's Stanging, always there's huh? there's perpetual optimism though, but uh, we will see if this actually comes about. And I, and I I think we'll we'll start to get a lot of clues not in this coming week because it seems like that means we've got about two more weeks for the LF and the FPM, for instance, to keep fighting mm-hmm. over things before they have to make a deal. Yeah, uh, they'll be scoring points from now on. The naturalization scandal is a good card for the LF to be like. Um, oh, yeah. we, can, we can protect you, cover you on that if you give us a better ministry. They can play all these cards now. They have, as you said, two weeks to do the politics, and then we have a cabinet. going to be a fun ride. Uh, and we'll be back to cover this uh, next week on Monday, as always. I'm Benjamin Red. I'm Nizar Hassan. And this has been the Lebanese Politics Podcast. Lebanese Politics Podcast is brought to you by myself, Nizar Hassan, Benjamin Red, produced behind the scenes by Susan Wilson, and the music is by Omar El-Fil.